Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hi there and welcome to Extra Time. This week we speculate over the future of Super Rugby and discuss the new global season. New Zealand Rugby tries to kick mental health into the spotlight and we check out the National Athletics Champs where New Zealand's Rio stars are aiming to shine. The spluttering Super Rugby competition needs an overhaul and fast and the powers that be have finally cottoned on with Sanzar bosses set to shake up the future shape of the competition. Nothing is certain and rumour is rife, so I picked Barry Guy's brains about how to fix the flagging tournament. All right, so there's been plenty of speculation over the future of Super Rugby this week after the Sanzar bosses met in Europe. Speculation is rife, but nothing much more than that. No real sources have come forward and confirmed anything. I've spoken to several players myself, and they don't seem to know what's going on and rightly don't really care, New Zealand players, that is. Uh, but the consensus seems to be that at least two teams will go, if not three. One from South Africa, one from Australia, potentially two from South Africa. Looks like the Sun Wolves from Japan and the Haguares or the Jaguars from Argentina will survive, and the draw will be revised, so it gets closer to a typical old version of the round robin. But... Barry Guy, what, what do you think will happen with the future of Super Rugby? Well, I don't, Joe, I don't think there's a perfect answer to it, to tell you the truth. Uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago, when it sort of started and there was a few teams from each country, it worked quite well because they played each other. But, you know, every nation wants it to grow in a way, and it was just getting too big. And I think because of the distances teams have to travel, it's not like the Premier League in England and football where it's only a couple of hours to drive somewhere to play a game. You know, you've got to um, fly for a day and a half to get to some of these places. Um, that it's just too difficult. And so I think it does need to be a little bit uh, smaller. I think it is good that um, there are some teams outside of um, uh, the three main nations that are in. I think the Argentinian side's done well. You can see why Japan's there. They want it to grow. Um, so... It, just a bit smaller, I think, is 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 what's required to fit into the season and for you to still play some of these other countries. Andrew Mertens earlier this week said he, they, they think they should regionalise it a bit more so that New Zealand and Australia and Pacific play together sort of thing. But playing a competition without a South African team in it, I, I, it just doesn't seem right, you know, because the South Africans are, you know... With some of the best around, I, I I don't have the perfect answer. And that would seem like you'd have to come up with a, basically a whole brand new competition. And I'm not sure if anyone has the the intention to go ahead and do that, or the the drive or the motivation. And of course, South Africa hold a fair bit of power and sway when it comes to the decision making, due to the fact that they bring in so much broadcasting revenue. So to lose them. Would a competition even be viable? I don't know. So you're right. Who knows? It's quite a tough one. And the Sanzar bosses will struggle maybe to figure it out. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but at games at the weekend, I like watching the New Zealand derbies. Yeah, of course. If, if, uh, if it's a New Zealand side playing, say, the Southern King, or, or you know, I might watch it, but really it doesn't. But if you've got, you know, the Highlanders against the Hurricanes or something like that, or, you know, Canterbury-Auckland sort of thing, you know, those are the games that I'll definitely watch. You know, 
that's that that they're tough. But I mean, um, yeah, as I say, I, I don't I don't have the perfect answer answer to this. Um, it, it's just one of those things about uh, covering half the world in a yeah. single competition. It's tough, though, because, of course, this situation this year is that the Lions, the best South African side, don't play any of the New Zealand teams and will essentially cruise their way to a home final throughout the whole of the playoffs simply by that virtue. Now, it's a double-edged sword because, of course, they won't have prepared themselves by not playing any New Zealand teams, but it doesn't seem very fair. The competition doesn't seem right if a team can make it all the way to a home playoff three weeks in a row without having to have beaten any of the top five sides in the competition because they're four behind on points. So, it, it's a, it, yeah, it, it does need some fixing, but who knows how it's going to happen. What we do know, though, is that a couple of teams look like they will be dropped because of this new global rugby season that's going to be implemented. You can tell us a little bit more about that global season. In the last few seasons, yes, it has been an interesting one that uh, the Super Rugby season has had to halt to play the June internationals. Now, there's possibly some pluses in that. If you're, if you're in the play of contention, you might be able to get some players over injuries or whatever, but the break, I'm sure, doesn't really mm. help. And then if you are a team that's more or less out of play of contention, you have a month off waiting to play out your last few games. And so it, it did seem a bit of a... And the fans, of course, you know, you, you go, oh, that's right, we're back into... Super Rugby now, so let's get into that. So, yeah, what they're doing is they're moving the June Internationals to July. The Super Rugby season, with it appears, less teams will go all the way through to the end of June and they'll have the final. Then they go into the Internationals, and that's definitely what the... uh, uh, the Southern Hemisphere teams wanted. At the end of the year, the November series will start a week earlier so that the uh, players from the Sanzar region will get the length of break that they require over the summer period for their holidays. And uh, the other thing, of course, is that uh, World Rugby has decided that there will be more matches between Tier 1 and Tier 2 nations, an increase of about 39%. Uh, New Zealand used to always play someone like Samoa before in, the, in that June period before they played someone else. Uh, Fiji, they've done all right the last few years. they played in England a few times. Samoa do OK. Tonga is an interesting one. Uh, they don't have their ground up to scratch. In fact, their game against Wales this year has been shifted to Auckland. So um, some work needs to be done for South Pacific nations, but a great idea where the likes of, I suppose, Georgias and those mm-hmm. sorts of things are going to get some, um, get some more matches. And just to quickly jump back to Super Rugby, two fairly mouth-watering local derbies again this weekend. So it should be some good viewing for New Zealand fans at least. Friday night, Crusaders host the Blues in Christchurch. What are you expecting to happen in this one? I'm picking the Crusaders down south. It'll be too good for a Blues side who haven't looked like they've improved enough from last year for me. Uh, that's right. We, I think, said last week that um, we wanted the Blues to, to lift themselves, and they didn't do it uh, last week. So you're right. The Crusaders are without a few players. You know, Israel Dagg, of course, is, is out. But, um, I, you know, we, I'm still waiting for the Blues to click. Mm-hmm. They've changed first fives and... I think we, I said the same thing uh, last week. I was hoping for the Blues to uh, to click, and it didn't happen, and I can't see any reason why it will this time. Fingers crossed, because, uh, you know, uh, Pierce Francis isn't at first five now. Uh, Tanarumanga, really, you know, he needs his, uh, his top players, experienced players, to lift themselves. So uh, a good one there. And also a good one in the capital. Uh, the Hurricanes host the Highlanders, the, the final 2015. 2015. Hurricanes will be a little bit hurting after uh, their loss uh, last week and the Highlanders will be buoyed by their win last week. So it's going to be going to be an interesting one. 
injuries continue to mount for the Highlanders. Uh, we'll just see what their depth is like. Yeah, this is their fourth local derby in a row to start the season, so they're so, certainly the walking wounded and are rather battered and bruised. However, they will be well prepared for the physicality that they are expecting. The Hurricanes, of course, got a bit of a fright against the Chiefs last week, a bit of a crash back down to reality for them after two easy wins over the competition cellar dwellers. So at least now they have a New Zealand team under their belt and will know what to expect. So it should be two good games this weekend. I'm going to go Crusaders and Hurricanes. Uh, Blues and Highlanders. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Whoever loses buys a sausage roll on Monday. Fantastic. I'm sure hoping that sausage roll comes my way. I think I've made the two better picks there, that's for sure. New Zealand Rugby has launched a website and campaign targeting mental illness as the country tries to tackle a growing problem. NZR have a new website called Head First, featuring rugby players past and present giving advice on how to deal with mental illness, not just for sufferers, but for their caregivers, coaches and friends. It's being led by NZR Education Officer Dr Nathan Price, and he, along with former Chiefs prop and junior all-black James McGugan, spoke to Nine to Noon's Lynn Freeman about their own experiences, with McGugan revealing he suffered depression and suicidal thoughts. I started really struggling when I transitioned from rugby to, to normal life and walking away from the game. Um, and that, that was, I suppose, I, I lost um, a lot of my confidence and identity from being around in, in the rugby circles and culture. And I, I found that I was quite isolated. And over the next couple of years, I sort of went into a downward spiral and I had a relationship breakup and it all it all ended up being the straw that broke the camel's back and I didn't deal with it very well and I didn't know where to go for any support or any any sort of help so that's yeah that's what happened with me and that's why I'm so um, enthusiastic about being involved with this. You almost took your own life didn't you? Yeah so it it was after it was about two two and a half years after I left the game and for those two years, I gradually, like I said, went down into a sort of shell of my former self and I was very withdrawn and angry and sad and I, I didn't know it, but those closest to me could see it, my parents and my ex-partner. And um, I didn't know, and I, that's the, the, the saddest thing is I couldn't see it, but everyone could and it, as, as those years went by, our relationship, my relationship broke up and that was the darkest part because I thought I was already at rock bottom but when me and my ex split that was a, a real hard hit to take and that's when I started entertaining these thoughts that you know I'd ne- never in my wildest dreams imagined I'd ever think in my life and it yeah it, it become a real struggle and it was to the point where I'd hear you know just the self-doubt and the self-talk in your head that starts you know it, it starts getting louder and louder about the things you know that you are and aren't and what you should do and that's when those suicidal thoughts started popping into my head and it, it was quite, it's very scary when I think back to it. James, one of the heartbreaking things here is that you didn't seek help. I mean, you, you said you couldn't recognise it in yourself for the longest time, but you didn't seek out the peop- help from the people you love because you thought it would make you look weak. Yeah, it's it's strange. that, And I think this is just, just looking at our culture in, in, in general, we're in general, Kiwi blokes are brought up to be tough. You know, we don't show much emotion. You know, you take it on the chin and you harden up sort of mentality. And you do that and then you go into rugby, which is a very macho sport, and, and you you put up these barriers and these walls. And so in my head it was literally thinking that this is this could be perceived as weak and I'm not weak. I'm not going to show this. I'm going to gut it out and I'll be able to sort this out by myself. And it was almost to my demise. 
Nathan, let's have a look at this website. There are other stories like James with players willing to share their stories, willing to revisit these dark times in their lives. How is this website going to help? I think the, the main thing we're really looking to help here is actually just to start the conversation. And as, as James has said that, you know, a lot of rugby players feel that they have to continue this perception of being tough. And so if we can um, show rugby players, both professional and community players, that actually it's okay to put your hand up and we all have ups and downs. Now, our mental health is, is always with us, whether it's good, bad or, or somewhere in between, uh, and rugby players are no different. And so I th- we think they can um, be a great vehicle actually for continuing the conversation and adding to the, the support that's already out there to say, you know, hey, we're part of society, we struggle with this as well. Um, but we're not ashamed to, to go and get some help and we think it's actually quite a courageous thing. So if we can get our rugby players talking about it, we think we can and make some inroads into the, to the wider community as well. Now you have made the point that it's not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment of, of mental health issues and that's really important for people mm. to know, isn't it? This is a, a support network. Yeah, that's right. This, and, and you know, this is not a, a silver bullet or a panacea. This is uh, really an information and awareness campaign and a conversation starter. And what we're hoping is that people will go to the site and just actually understand a little bit more about what is mental health, what is mental fitness, how do you keep yourself uh, healthy and happy. Uh, and then if you do need help, well, how do you even go about that? Where can you go? What should you do? And and here's some sort of encouraging videos from players like James, like Kevin Mialam or Wayne Smith about, you know, places you can go and, and people you can talk to. And I think that's that's really important. But it's no, it's not a, a frontline mental health platform, just a a way to get that conversation started. Do you think that we would be saddened by the number of players like those you've mentioned and, and others perhaps who haven't come forward who have gone through this battle? Yeah, I think I think will. And I think in general society is would be saddened, to be honest. The, I mean, the statistics of one in five New Zealanders who are suffering from some kind of mental illness is, is huge and it's shocking. And rugby players are, are no different to that, whether they play on a Saturday or you know, for their local club or whether they're playing for the All Blacks. The reality is there's a significant number of people who are going through some, some pretty tough times. Uh, and rugby players do have some additional stresses on that, whether it be injury, uh, retirement, or, or not meeting their performance goals that they may set for themselves or others may set for them. So um, it, it is it's a tough issue, and, and there will be plenty of rugby players, whether we know about them or not, that are actually going through some of these tough times. That was New Zealand Rugby's Education Officer, Dr Nathan Price, and former junior all-black James McGugan speaking to Lynn Freeman. A number of New Zealand Olympic and Paralympic medalists will be competing at the National Track and Field Championships in Hamilton this weekend, but as a new Olympic cycle starts, there are also a number of up-and-comers that are hoping to make an impression. The likes of Tom Walsh, Eliza McCartney, Anna Grimaldi and Holly Robinson are expected to dominate their events. As Barry Guy reports, there are plenty of others keen to step up onto the international stage. Eliza McCartney's manager Scott Newman ending that report from Barry Guy. And you're listening to RNZ Sports Extra Time. Catherine Switzer revolutionised running for women and made history at the Boston Marathon 50 years ago. Having been told back in 1967 no woman could ever run the Boston Marathon, and despite the best or worst efforts of an outraged official, the long-distance runner-turned-activist completed the race. And in doing so, and in doing so she broke the mould of the until-then male-dominated sport. 
Half a century later, and it's 70 years old, Catherine's about to mark the anniversary of her historic first marathon by doing it again, joined by mainly female runners from countries around the world, and a continued effort to empower women, this time by raising funds for non-competitive running communities. Catherine spoke to Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan about what it will be like to run the Boston course once again. It will be an astonishing moment just to pass through that particular neighborhood, I believe, especially accompanied by 125 um, people, 118 of them women, seven fearless men who are running with me for my foundation, 261 Fearless. Um, All of them, you know, have had their lives changed by running and in many ways changed by that particular incident of the official jumping off the press truck, attacking me and trying to throw me out of the race. It was such a galvanizing moment. And the photograph from the incident, of course, became one of the iconic photos of the women's rights movement all these years later. Maybe it's a lovely metaphor. That image, that that moment in time, that moment in history, and and that image, of course, is is, is what you are most recognised and remembered for. But lesser known, uh, your direct involvement in any way, is what happened afterwards, which was the spreading of this distance-running movement, women getting involved, uh, including and, and mainly entirely for for their social and recreational and health reasons, spreading rapidly in the ensuing years and decades. What were the events that you were... It was the Avon sponsorship yes. events, to which I'm specifically referring. What happened and how quickly following that run... Um, through the events that you and others co-organised. Yes, you know, when something happens to you, you can walk away from it or you can take responsibility for it, embrace it as negative as it is and try to make it positive. That's what I did with that that moment that, that the official attacked me. You know, there's always that split second of fear and embarrassment where you want to walk off the course. But actually, what I decided to do is is somehow at age 20, made the decision to finish the race, no matter what, I was going to finish the race. And by the end of the race, I realized other women would be there if they only had opportunities. So it began, my crusade began, create those opportunities, build it and they will come. And I began organizing club races and then got major sponsorship, organized the Avon Global Circuit, which went around the world, 27 countries, 400 races, a million women. Um, And women participating had their own sense of empowerment and their lives changed and their health improved and their sense of destiny um, really kind of focused. And it sounds so funny just putting one foot in front of the other. But running is very transformational that way. We worked hard with those things, legislated work. Um, and convince the International Olympic Committee to get the women's marathon in the Olympic Games. So then a global a global playing field was changed. Now what we are seeing is that there are millions of women out running, walking, participating um, in, in, in events, not, not to be competitive, not to be Olympic athletes, but because it gives them a sense of themselves. It gives them their empowerment, their 20 minutes of, of stress relief, their ability to communicate with other women and in a non-judgmental way and just whatever kind of woman you are, whatever color, whatever size, whatever background, um, we when you go out and you run together, you have this sort of mutual understanding um, of Pain. something that changes your life. <laughs> <laughs> The bib number from your 1967 It's not pain, it's exertion. And it's lovely when it's over. The bib number from your 1967 race lends its name to your new venture, 261 Fearless. And what is its 
message? I mean, what is its core message? You know, um, this came, happened organically. It was almost scary, Catherine. I mean, that people suddenly wrote, were writing to me, emailing me, and sending me pictures of them wearing 261 um, or inking it on their arms or tattooing it. And when I got the tattoos, I got really scared because I thought, what does this mean? What it means is that everybody has been told in their life that they're not welcome or they're not good enough or not pretty enough or not sm- smart enough or fast enough or whatever. Um, and then they go do something like running and they do it anyway. They overcome that and they become fearless and they kept using that word fearless and so we decided what are we going to do with this are we going to create a business we've got to harness it in some way because this is a powerful message and so we created a nonprofit 261 fearless inc um, that reaches out with a series of clubs communication direct contact with women events merchandising all that but mostly it's about creating a global community of women who can communicate to each other and share their um, their fearlessness to somebody who is fearful. And that's extra time for this week. We'll be back next week with the next show. Until then, I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.